And welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. I'm Ben. And I'm Sarah. (laughs) It's Halloween! Thank you for listening to the show today. You're turning it into George Takei a little bit. Uh, how are you doing on this great, fantastic day, Ben? I am doing pretty well, Sarah. How about yourself? Pretty good. Do you like my costume? Yes. Yeah, it's Halloween, so we dressed up, and uh, if this was a visual medium, then you'd be able to see these amazing costumes that we've put together. We are dressed up like our icons for the podcast, so I look like a red-headed bride of Frankenstein, and Ben looks like a Dracula. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we put a lot of effort, so I really hope you enjoy the oral quality of uh, our costumes. Yes. I can talk like this for the rest of the episode, if you prefer. I don't think so. Okay. I don't, I don't think that's that's good show. Is that not good show? It's not good show, Ben. Okay, alright. Um, so what will make this a good show is if you tell me what we are watching today. So today we are watching... Horror Island. Awesome. Uh, from Universal Studios. That is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So it's an island where only horror happens? Or, I... or is it like an island, you know, when people are like, you know, when people are like, if you were stuck on a desert island, like, what three movies would you bring? On Horror Island, you can only bring horror. So I think we're probably going to end up having some genre discussion about Horror Island, despite the title. Um, okay. Because while it's a universal film, it's from the B-movie department, uh, the same department that brought us The Mummy's Hand, and it's from an original story by Alex Gottlieb, but it seems to very much be in the mold of the old dark house mystery thriller model. Uh, there's a ton of characters, some of whom are comic relief, and they're holed up in a big isolated house on an island with a killer who has a mystery identity. So it's an old dark house on an island story. Yes. Okay. But it's called Horror Island, so... That that puts it firmly on the we-should-watch-this-to-determine-where-it-stands <laughs> yeah. list. Yeah. So the screenplay uh, for Horror Island is by Maurice Tom Braggle and Victor McCloud. When I saw that name, I was like, oh, I recognize that name. What what else has Victor McCloud done? Uh, and he would later go on to be one of the three credited screenwriters of the 1943 Batman movie serial. So, <laughs> Okay. Uh, directing Horror Island, Universal hired a man named George Wagner, who would go on to have a long career at the studio doing uh, other horror movies as well. And also has a Batman connection. Yes. So... Wagner was born in New York City in 1894. Uh, He trained initially to be a chemist, he served in World War I, and he started in Hollywood as an actor in 1921. He transitioned to directing in 1938, initially directing westerns. Mm -hmm. Horror Island was Wagner's 14th film. Okay. Since 1938. 
what year is it? 41. 14 films in three years? Is yeah. that low? That's high. I, I don't know. It's so weird trying to think about, like, how much they churned these things out. And there was, like, one time there was an actor who did 14 films in a single year. Yeah, so, it's, so it's, it's because he was working in the B-movie department. That's how these things are getting churned out so fast. Um, which, to wit, uh, Horror Island was shot back-to-back with another George Wagner Universal Studios horror B-movie, Man-Made Monster. Oh. And the two were released together as a double bill. Double creature feature. Right. Specifically, they were billed as co-features, meaning that in terms of advertising, neither one was considered the A or B picture. In reality, both were made by the B-movie department, uh, so there really wasn't an A picture. It's just two Bs put together. Um, However... Horror Island had the higher budget of the two, so I guess you could consider it the A picture of the two. Okay, so that's why we're watching it first. That's why we're watching it first. Yeah, exactly. Packaging a double feature like this was really important for Universal's business model, um, because unlike Paramount and MGM and Fox and Warner Brothers, Universal didn't own a theater chain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So double features like this ensured that Universal Pictures were programmed by theater owners. Uh, Basically, the way that the double feature worked was, as a theater owner, you're paying to rent both movies, uh, so Universal makes the money off that, but theaters charged one ticket for admission to both films, Uh, so it was a deal for audiences. Now, at first that might seem like that's a shitty deal for the theater owners, Yeah, and also why would the studios bother with producing, like, twice as much content, right? Yeah. Like, Universal's programming this double feature to make sure Universal movies get seen, but, like, why make the extra movies? So the reason for this is uh, what was discovered uh, initially when double features started, it was something that theater owners did on their own where they would, you know, have a new movie and then maybe, like, an older film. Sure. Um, And what was discovered was that a double feature would have higher ticket sales than a theater showing a new single feature. Uh, Specifically, what they discovered was, like, if you have a double feature, right, an A and a B picture, the theater that showed them as one program, double featured, would have higher ticket sales for that one screening than another theater that showed both movies separately. So if... 20 people came to see Man-Made Monster and 30 people came to see Horror Island. You would think 50 would go to a double feature, but like 60 or 70 would see the double feature. So you'd make more money doing that because you're getting higher ticket sales overall. Because it's a deal for the customer. Exactly. And so what ended up happening was while double features started as like a new movie and a rerun, you had the Poverty Row Studios would start to make cheap B-movies to be programmed alongside the A's as a way to, like, slip in their content, because obviously the Poverty Row Studios didn't own movie theaters, so they couldn't force theaters to take their garbage. But this was a way to say, well, hey, we'll program the B-movies. Then the major studios saw the Poverty Row Studios doing that and was like, wait a minute, so I'm making an A-movie, selling it to the theater, they make the B-movie sell it to the theater, And, like, the theater's making the extra money. Like, why don't we just make the A and the B picture 
and get paid both ways. And that's how you got the development of B-movie departments at the larger studios. Okay. Kind of a neat piece of history that gets explained with this otherwise B picture. Yes. So the way this would work is when you went to the theater, you'd buy your one ticket, and then after the short subjects, so like trailers, a newsreel, and a short film, either a cartoon or live action, the B picture on the bill would actually screen first and then be followed by the A picture. And this was because if you did it the other way around, usually people would leave after the A picture and not that watch the B. You gotta, you gotta wait to, to get gone with the wind. Yeah, because usually people had bought their ticket to see the A picture. Um, but in the case of Horror Island and Man-Made Monster, they were co-features. Neither one was the A or the B, because they were really both Bs. <laughs> so getting back to George Wagner the director. Um, after this, he would go on to have a very long career. You know, we'll be talking about him again when we cover Man Made Monster. And yes, as Sarah mentioned, l way later on, he directed several episodes of the Batman television series in the 1960s, uh, where he spelt his name with... Uh, so his, his name is spelt W-A-G-G-N-E-R, and for whatever reason, when he directed Batman, he had his name done all lowercase, including his first name, except for the double G in Wagner, which, like, I, I don't know why he did that. It's definitely, like, some sort of affectation, and it's definitely the kind of affectation that you could get away with when you were directing uh, Batman that you definitely could not get away with back in the 1940s. <laughs> so his name will be credited as usual here? Yeah, like a normal person's name. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. <laughs> uh, the lead, as it were, in Horror Island is Dick Ferran, who we recently saw in The Mummy's Hand. He was Steve Banning there. He was the, the lead actor in that movie. And joining Ferran from The Mummy's Hand is Peggy Moran, who was the love interest in that movie. So it's the same lead and love interest from Mummy's Hand in this movie. Because they had so much chemistry together. Right. This, will, this is going to be great. Uh, Ferran had made one movie with Universal in the interim, uh, which was Four Daughters, which was the movie that starred all four Lane sisters, and then had the sequels Four Wives, Four Mothers, uh, like two different sequels, it was a trilogy. Yep. Um, meanwhile, really, it should have been a tetralogy. Meanwhile, uh, Peggy Moran had done five movies in the interim between this and The Mummy's Hand. Dang. The sidekick this time is not... Wallace Ford, uh, but rather Fuzzy Knight. Okay. Born uh, John Forrest Knight. He was a singer and comedian, nicknamed Fuzzy because of his, like, soft voice. I don't make the connection. Like, I guess it just sounds fuzzy, like the way he sings. I don't know. But he moved from doing Broadway uh, to doing movies in the early 30s. Um, he started out as a singing cowboy. Um, and then by now, in the early 40s, um, he would be more like the comedic sidekick instead of the lead, uh, which is funny because, like, Dick Ferran also was, like, at this time in his career, uh, a singing cowboy. Yeah. So it's Dueling already, cowboys. It, less dueling and more of, like, um, you know, like, the, the, the master has passed on the, the title to his apprentice kind of thing, because, like, Fuzzy Knight was now a little too old to be the lead, so now he's the sidekick, right? You, this, is, this is sort of how acting used to work, right? You aged yeah. through roles. Yeah. 
Unless you were a lady. Right, then you just disappeared. Yeah, that still happens today. Also appearing in the cast is Spanish-American actor Leo Carrillo, vaudeville comedy duo Hobart Cavanaugh and Walter Catlett, and frequent gangster mole Iris Adrian. I don't know what this movie's going to be, Ben. If we don't have a horror movie on Halloween, I don't know what we're going to do. Especially with a movie called Horror Island. There's going to be riots in the streets. Our listeners will come to our house as a fierce mob. I mean, that would be impressive. I'd be impressed. So, in order to get Horror Island and Man-Made Monster both done in time to be released together as a double feature, uh, they were shot back-to-back, and Horror Island was shot in 12 days, uh, which was done by violating union rules about maximum working hours. Yeah. The budget for the movie was $93,000. So nothing. Basically about what PRC paid for their movies. Poor weather and the frequent long days, often lasting until midnight, plagued the cast and crew, and Dick Ferran came down with a cold and missed a day of work. The movie was unable to, like, stop shooting, so Ferran's character was simply written out of the scenes that they shot that day. Isn't he the lead? Yes. But they couldn't, they didn't have the schedule to be able to, like, stop shooting for him having a cold. Uh, okay. <laughs> in order to get the movie out in time, editing began while filming was still going. No. And the score was simply reused from the score for The Invisible Man Returns. So shooting went from March 3rd to March 15th. And then uh, Horror Island was released in theaters on the double bill as planned on March 28th. Two weeks after filming had wrapped. Okay, I'm sure we'll explain this when we cover Man-Made Monster next week. But, like, how do you... I guess if they're filming back-to-back, mm-hmm. is that like, hey, we finished filming this one, now we're filming the next one? Or is it like, during the day we shoot this <laughs> one, and at night we shoot the other? No. So, um... That was the situation with King Kong and Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, so that's what I was imagining with this. This wasn't that, um, mostly because it's the same director and the same crew, so that would have been, like, working, you know, 24 hours a day. Exactly, that's why I was like, what is happening? Um, Back to back, it's the first thing you said. They shot one movie, and then without stopping working, they went into shooting the next one. Um, Sometimes uh, what you get nowadays is movies that shoot basically simultaneously. Uh, You get this with, like, big-budget Hollywood movies uh, that have, like, series. Like, all three Lord of the Rings movies or all three Hobbit movies were all shot all at once. So, you know, one day they'd be shooting a scene from Two Towers, and the next day they'd be shooting a scene from Fellowship of the Ring, right? Like, just all over the place. Uh, But yeah, in this case, it was one movie was shot first, and then the other was shot right after. Yeah, I couldn't find really much of anything on critical response for this movie. That's a great sign. Um... But, uh... They universally liked it, and so they felt that their criticism was not even needed. Right. Uh, or no one went to go see this Double B movie. But... But that that was the whole reason they made it a double bill! So more people would see it! 
but it is available on DVD as part of the Universal Horror Classic Movie Archive, uh, which is a DVD box set, basically, of the Universal Horror movies that, like, don't fit into, like, franchises, basically. Sure. There's no place to rent it online or anything? No, it's not They available. don't give a fuck. They were just, like, slap it on a DVD disc and sell it to the people who will buy it. Yeah, it's... The five people. Yeah, it's not, um... It's not anywhere online streaming okay. currently. Well, folks, if you want to watch along, find that DVD and, and watch along, and we will see what this movie has in store. I am optimistic. See, I feel like sometimes it actually helps a movie to go in with lowered expectations. Sure, sure, you've successfully lowered my expectations. I'm just thinking, like, well, is my expectation of it's a horror movie going to be fulfilled? Well, we'll find out after a musical break. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Horror Island, directed by George Wagner. And I have the unfortunate responsibility to tell you that this is not a horror movie. It is an island, but it's not a horror movie. And it's not a horror island. On Halloween, Sarah, nothing is more sacred than the art of trick or treat. Well, and, this... and I apparently tricked the hell out of you because this isn't a horror movie. I mean, it I was... I didn't do it on purpose. It, it was kind of a treat. I no. did have fun in watching this movie. I'm glad you did, because I did not. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, it's not a treat as in like, oh, that was good, despite it not being a horror movie. It was like, this is real dumb. It's and very I'm, dumb. I'm just having a fun time watching this be dumb and bad. I was really enjoying myself... Until it, like, kept going. <laughs> like, I was into it, and then I stopped being into it. I got into it when they reached the island. Yes, I got re-into it when they reached the island. Like, the first five minutes I was good, first five or ten or whatever, and then when they got to the island I was like, okay, things are picking up. There was a point during the island stuff where I was like, no, I, I just want this done. I just yeah. want this over. It is, like, a solid 60 minutes, though, so it's quick. Yes. Yeah, so um, you don't have to worry about it dragging on too much. It It's, you know... Could have been a 40-minute. <laughs> oh, for sure. Anyways, Ben, tell our lovely listeners what joy they missed in not watching this movie. So Horror Island is very much in the old Dark House vein, but it's also in in the same way that the mummy's hand kind of took the plot of the mummy and turned it into or injected elements of an adventure movie into it. This movie kind of takes the, you know, the bat, the bat whispers formula and injects some adventure movie into it. There's a lot of bullshit in this plot. I'm going to try and simple it, <laughs> simplify it as much as possible. Our hero is Bill Martin and Bill Martin has no money. 
He's he's fucking dirt poor. Uh, he owes creditors and has tons of bills, despite the fact that, like, he owns a store of some kind, he owns his own boat, he inherited an entire fucking island off the coast of Florida from his grandfather's will that has a fucking castle on it that apparently used to belong to Captain Morgan, like like the rum guy, Captain Morgan. Yeah. But, you know, he's poor. He has no money. Anyways. So <laughs> you're so upset about this, like oh, inconsistency. It, just, it was just like the fact that like the, his whole motivation in the movie is like, ah, shucks, we're out of money. Well, I guess we just have to go back to Grandpa's castle on the island I inherited. Fuck. <laughs> you're so upset. So Bill's best friend slash comedic sidekick is this guy named Stuff, and they're on a boat, and there's this sailor with a peg leg who's looking for them. He's played by a Spanish actor, but I think he's supposed to have a French accent. I think. It kept changing. Yeah, it's all over the place. But um, this sailor's looking for them because he's found a map to Captain Morgan's lost treasure on Morgan Island. While Bill and Stuff are doubtful of the map's legitimacy, the pirate guy, the sailor guy, he's pretty... Sh- I mean, like, listen, he's dressed like a fucking Halloween costume pirate. He does not look like a 1941 sailor. He looks like... Like, the only thing he's missing is a parrot. Anyways. He has so, the peg leg. He's got, he like... He has the earring. He the, has bandana. the bandana. Like, it's just... It's, it's enjoyable. So, he's... <laughs> can. He's convinced of the map's legitimacy because he's getting followed around by a dude in a black cloak and a black hat who skulks around in the shadows called The Phantom, who seems like he's supposed to be the movie's big villain. And if anyone is, like, injecting horror into the early parts of the movie, it's The Phantom. And it feels like The Phantom's identity, you know, because he's called The Phantom and he skulks around in the shadows all the time, should be like some big mystery where we get like a reveal at the end, similar to like the bat in The Bat. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. And your first big clue that it doesn't matter is they start just showing you his face just openly, and it's not anyone you already know. So anyways, the Phantom manages to get half the map. So our heroes only have the other half. They take it to an antiquarian who <laughs> examines it, uh, this character is known as the Professor for the rest of the movie. I think uh, in the credits he's given an actual name. They said his name, too. Uh, but they also just call him the, the professor. professor. Yeah. So they take it to the Professor to get it authenticated. authenticated. And the Professor's like, yeah, this is a fake. So's the other half that that crazy dude in the black cape brought in. And they're like, ah! Um, <laughs> so... But he does say that, you know, people fall for these fake maps all the time. Don't feel bad about it. And they're like, ah, a get-rich-quick scheme by hosting tours to a haunted island with, like, a treasure hunt excursion halfway through. So they're basically selling tickets to bring people to this island to get money. The island that Bill Martin owns with the castle on it. Yes. So the, the shtick is, is, you know, now they're going to fake a treasure hunt. Um, you know, the idea is they've gone ahead to the island and, like, rigged the castle that they own up with a bunch of, um, like, equipment 
to like fake ghosts, you know, like, like a sound system through the whole castle. And there's like a little radio room with like speakers and like a, uh, a microphone and like, you know, all kinds of effects and things that are like controlled from like a hidden control yeah. booth because they, they don't have any money, but they definitely have the money to retrofit an entire castle to fake ghosts in it. Yeah. This castle that they own. Right. So <laughs> Yeah, so they have this get-rich-quick scheme now. So they get all these people on the boat uh, to go to the castle. And it's like your standard old dark house coterie of a lot of unimportant characters. There's Bill's cousin George, who wants to buy the island for mysterious reasons. There's a fucking gangster and his, like, girlfriend. A lot of comic relief characters. Um, Also... There's this, like, dude from the government who keeps trying to get Bill's attention, and, you know, Bill thinks it's, like, the IRS or something, so he keeps brushing him off. And, like, if you've seen a movie in your life, you'll know right away, you're like, oh, but he actually wants to give Bill a ton of money or something. Like, that's just how that gag always works. But he ignores that guy, and they make it to the island. The castle's very spooky, probably because it seems to have been assembled out of set pieces from earlier universal movies like we're just gonna have the door from carfax abbey here and the staircase from the old dark house there and the fireplace from the raven over here and it's all rigged up with a bunch of ghosty nonsense but of course pretty soon stuff starts happening that you know wasn't part of the plan and bill's all oh stuff like that was a good job you did with that and he's like oh i didn't do that boss uh because the phantom's there causing shenanigans being a menace Ah, that's good. I like that. It's a Star Wars joke for you on this horror movie podcast. So About a movie that's not a horror movie. <laughs> so, people start dying. Um, the Phantom kills the gangster uh, first, and then everyone else sort of gets starts to get picked off one at a time. Uh, which, like, at least that happens. At least it's a movie that understands that the reason you have a giant cast of characters is so that you can start killing people. Thank- Even though their deaths don't have any weight, they're like, oh, he's dead. Huh. Well, let's head back inside and continue looking for the treasure. Yeah, nobody gives a shit that anyone in this movie has died. Um, also... Even his fucking cousin. Yeah. Al- who, who gets pulled off screen by the Phantom, and we don't see his death, but they discover his body in a suit of armor that falls off a pedestal. And it's like, how... He would have been dead when the Phantom put him in the suit of armor. How did how did you do that? And quickly and silently, without anyone noticing, it was the best part of this whole movie. So the castle, like, doesn't make any sense because this movie's dumb. Like, it has, like, a torture chamber in the basement. And, Which like, is great. Like, like Which all, is, of course, you know, it does. Yeah, like, suits of armor. Like, all the things you would expect a, a full castle to have. Like, it has everything. It's not, like, abandoned or anything. Like, this dude who's so low on money, just owns a fully stocked out horror movie castle. But anyways, people are getting bumped off one at a time. No one seems to care. And the, the main thing that started to try my patience with this movie is every character, whether they're the comic relief, whether they're the um, main heroes, whether they're the villain, everyone in this movie is an idiot. No, like, no one in this movie has more than two brain cells to rub together. They are all supremely stupid. Um, and it just gets really tiresome after a while, because the movie definitely thinks that's endearing. And, like, ugh. So, the big <laughs> twist of the movie, eventually, 
is that the Phantom gets killed. This is also where the Phantom's mystery identity gets revealed, and we find out he's Panama Pete, a fucking ex-crewman <laughs> on the boat that the fucking pirate was on, and so that's how he knew about the map and knew to follow, like, the pirate guy. It doesn't matter. And also, like, at this point, you're like, it, you're 45 minutes in. You're like, but the Phantom's dead. Like, what is there left? And it's like, well, but who killed the Phantom? So... There's some more running around, of course, because they have the pirate side of the map, but not the other half. The whole idea is, you know, they can only go so far. And the other person who has the other half can only go so far. It turns out the other person is the professor who, like, that's why he said the maps were fake, to try and, like, draw people away, like, off the trail. Um, He's been murdering everyone who gets in his way. Like, he murdered George. Um, like he, he's the, the, the real bad guy. And of course the thing to understand is his personality up till this reveal is like the jittery, like, Oh, everything scares me. Like, Oh, like kind of like guy, you know, like real, like geekazoid kind of dude. And then as soon as the, the gig is up, he like immediately switches to, I see you figured me out, Bill Martin. Well, you'll have to die just like all the rest. Like, it's, <laughs> he's just threatening. And it's funny because they clearly cast the actor because he matches that physical type of, like, absent-minded, jittery, scaredy cat so well. Like, he's this short, thin, balding, balding. man with glasses and a little toothbrush mustache. And so, like, him trying to be threatening for, like, the back part of the movie is it's fun it's quite something it's, it was fun so he leads our heroes down into the torture chamber basement because they have a coin that you need to put in a slot and so he gets the coin from them and he puts it in this slot by a door and this hammer swings down and apparently kills him he was just standing in the wrong spot yeah and then the door opens so the the bad guy's dead. They're like, oh, sweet, we found the treasure because there's a treasure chest behind the door. And then they open it up, and it's just like a skeleton. And they're like, well, fuck. Guess there was no treasure after all. And it's like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, is that supposed to be, like, the skeleton of Captain Morgan? Because I feel <laughs> like if it is, like, that would be worth some money to a museum somewhere. So they're like, well, oops-a-doodles. And then they, they, they come upstairs and... The fucking, like, feds have shown up, like, the Navy, and it's that dude who's been looking for Bill Martin this whole time, and he's like, yeah, we want to buy this island so we can put a naval base on it, so actually you're rich. And then Bill gets to sell the island to these guys, pirate guy, I I forget what he gets. Everyone gets a happy ending. There's some talk of, like, because they found out that, like, the gangster dude was a gangster and he died, like, there's reward money for that, and all this sort of stuff, and everything's happy, and Bill winds up with, I haven't even mentioned her, one of the people in this movie is Wendy, she's the romantic love interest, she's very wealthy, and she has, like, a a friend who's doing the whole, like, Bruce Wayne thing of, like, I'm too bored and tired to do anything, and there are some of the people who come on the trip, and she's the romantic lead, she, you know, She gets with Bill. Yeah, she gets with Bill at the end. They have the exact same relationship that every couple in every movie from the 40s you've ever seen is, where they hate each other and they bicker and snark at the start of the movie, and then by the end of the movie they end up together. It's it's 
the Han and Princess Leia thing, exactly. Like, she's rich, so he, she's worth, like, $7 million, so if he marries her, which is implied at the end, he'll get even more money. So everybody's wealthy and happy, except for, like, the five people who are dead, but who gives a shit about them, the end. Um, I mean, I did enjoy her. She's, she's fine. Like, yeah, she's fine. She, she was a fun time. It's just, like, she's... That's how ancillary she is to the plot that, like, I forgot to even mention yeah. her until the ending. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh... It's not horror. It's not horror. It's kind of, um, if I had to, like, put a finger on what it is, like, it is spoopy, right? Like, the castle is all cobwebby, and, like, they have people skulking around in the shadows, and, like, they're, the, the, the aesthetics in certain parts of the movie are borrowing from horror. It's well shot. Like, I think the cinematography has a lot of nice shadows and stuff in it. Like, I think it's okay as a Halloween movie or something that has, like, that Scooby-Doo-ish kind of vibe of, like, a gang of people, you know. Oh, and then it was Old Man McGillicuddy this whole time, right? Like, it's that kind of spoopy thing. It's definitely a Scooby-Doo. Um, I, I wouldn't really call this spoopy. Like, to me, spoopy is the devil bat, where, like, it's a horror movie and it's just bad. Well, okay. This isn't a horror movie. What do you What do you call something, then, that, like, you know has the horror trappings of, like, cobwebs and a big abandoned castle and ghosts and shadows and, and people skulking about, but makes no attempt to frighten you. Scooby-Doo. Right. At no point are any of the Scooby-Doo cartoons scary. Right. So, yeah, it's very Scooby-Doo. It also, with, like, the, you know, pirate shows up out of nowhere with, like, a treasure map to come take you on an adventure thing. Right. Has a very, like, um... Tintin kind of feel. Sure. Or like, you know, your Indiana Joneses or anything like that. Like, it's it's definitely like an adventure movie. You could almost imagine like a series of these. And I mean, Dick Ferran's character is basically the exact same character he played in The Mummy. Right down to like, we're out of money because my latest harebrained scheme didn't work kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you can sort of like imagine a series of these movies that's just like one more crazy adventure like after the other. It's it's very that kind of thing. It just so happens that this one's the Halloween special, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Like that's what this is. This is an adventure movie where the characters just happen to go to a slightly Halloween themed place or something, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think there's anything else to really talk about with this movie. Other than like I just wanted to say that I think it l- managed a good job of not looking cheap. Yeah, that's fair. Like there's a lot of sets I made fun that, like, the castle's, like, built out of pieces of old set, but it does help you have a whole castle for them to explore. It's not the same room over and over again. They've got the boat, they've got the pier, they've got the wharf. Like, there's a lot of locations in this, which is something you don't normally see in, like, cheap B-movies. And, you know, the, the cinematography is very competent. It's done by a crew that knows what it's doing. And I think, ultimately, that's the difference between maybe, like, a studio... B-movie and, like, a Poverty Row B-movie is, like, Poverty Row movies were made kind of just by, like, rank amateurs, really? Like, people who either didn't, you know, couldn't make it in the majors, right, is really what it is. Whereas, like, if you're watching a B-movie from a real major studio, it's still at least people with, like, a base level of competency. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I mean, like, I don't want to, like, 
I don't want to badmouth the crews of Poverty Row Pictures because, like, they're just trying to make it in the business. Sure. But, like, it might be amateurs, might be people still cutting their teeth on things. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in a studio picture, you're more likely to have people who have past experience and know how to make a movie quickly, competently. Exactly. Um, I will say, quickly, yeah, this movie just screams on by. Like, it, it, part of the reason why it felt like the deaths had no impacts is because they're like, we, we gotta keep things going. Mm -hmm. We gotta keep shooting. We don't, we're not gonna take five minutes for the gangster's wife to be like, no, my husband, I'm sad, or whatever, or even for, like, a full interrogation scene she gets. Like, it, it's just like, let's just, like, go to scene to scene to scene very quickly, do, like, like, maybe we'll reshoot a scene if someone flubs a line. It's not that cheap, but it's definitely, like, the, its pacing is just very, very quick. Um, to the point where even the death of the Phantom is explained in a very quick line. Yeah. Where, like, if you aren't quite listening, if you were out getting popcorn, too bad. Yeah, this is the guy who you're led through the whole movie to believe is going to be the big villain. And I get that it's kind of like a clever twist to kill him and then have this other reveal, but it is very much like, oh, well, the Phantom's dead. Yeah, it turns out he was Panama Pete. Okay, well, moving on. Yeah. And it's, 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 really, it's really hard to get a beat on, like, how you're supposed to be reacting to a lot of this movie. I do feel like that pacing, and also, like, combined with some of the characters who are in this movie, like, they're all types, right? They're all just stock character types. And it feels like this movie was, you know, definitely not meant to be something that you as an audience we're supposed to ever be emotionally involved with on any level. This is supposed to be very much just disposable entertainment. Yeah. Just something that you you would watch to kill an afternoon and it's fun and you know the the type the characters, the 10 characters who go on the expedition, it really feels like a someone going like, well, we'll throw in, you know, a bumbling cop for people who find that kind of character funny. And we'll throw in some gangsters for people who like gangster movies. And we'll throw in, you know what I mean? Like, like, because they're all just such exaggerated stereotypes. Yeah. It's like a stew, Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, <laughs> Where are you, <laughs> stew? I'm just mixing and matching. So the thing that I think we forget sometimes is that there was this era when movies were much more disposable entertainment. If I go out to a movie with you, right, we're going to pay $12 a ticket for each of us, and then, like, with popcorn and drinks, like, it's probably 50 bucks for us to go see a movie. So, therefore, like, it better be kind of worth the effort. It better be good. It better emotionally involve us. It better justify being on a big screen. It better knock our socks off. And this was an era where, like, you know, you paid a dime and you got, you know, the two movies and the short subject and the newsreel and the trailers and everything. You know, the dime that you were paying wasn't, it was, it was nothing, right? It was cheap, it was affordable, it was accessible. And so, you know, when the movies are cheap, it doesn't bother you so much if a movie like this is just kind of throwaway whatever that you're going to forget by the next week. Whereas, like... Kind of like how we feel about reality TV. Well, even, like, the trash TV I watch on Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like it doesn't bother you if a show on Netflix kind of sucks because, like, you paid ten bucks and got this subscription to all this stuff. Yeah, right? like, Paranormal Survivor's fine, but it's garbage. Yeah, Ghost Wars isn't actually good. <laughs> Don't talk about my Ghost Wars that way. 
<laughs> it's so bad. So that's what I, I just wanted to point that out because like if, you know, if, if you went to the movies and you saw a movie like this, I think today you would be like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I, I would paid... be like, give me back my money. That was only an hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, an episode of Mad Men can be longer than this. Like, And more emotionally engaging. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I just wanted to say that about this, that like, yeah, it's kind of throwaway fluff, but it's also not... Meant to be anything else. And it's also not like actively bad the way that some of the other B-movies we've seen are, right? Like, my mind is going to, like, something like Crime of Dr. Crespi, where it's like, was that even a movie, technically? Torture Ship is what I thought of. Yeah. Like, ex- that's, like, bottom, bottom of the list. Exactly. So that's what I mean is, like, this isn't what you wanted it to be. It's not what I wanted it to be. And it's not a good movie, but it's also, like, not actively bad either. It's just filler. Well, um, so we are agreed for sure that this movie is going to be added to the miscellaneous part of the list. If you'd like to see the list, um, see the other miscellaneous films on the list, you can go to screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. While you're there at the list, check out some movies that are actually horror movies, and check out maybe the movies on our top ten. Treat yourself. I'm so upset that our Halloween episode movie, which has the title Horror Island, turned out to not be horror. Yeah, I I feel duped. And it's not your fault. It's not my fault. But it does mean that we should really take a look at Man-Made Monster before yeah. we watch it. Well, the thing about Man-Made Monster and what gives me hope is that it stars Lon Chaney Jr. Okay, so I feel like we have to do the episode anyways, because it's Lon Chaney Jr. And yeah, it's his first movie with Universal. Uh, it's his first horror movie. And it's the movie that got him the job in The Wolfman. Okay. Well, I will take comfort in knowing that The Wolfman's coming up soon, because that's such a good movie. If you would like to contest, you know, maybe you want to contest the ranking of Horror Island, you can do so by submitting to our appeals box on Tumblr or contacting us directly at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to contest any other ranking that we have done. You don't just... It's not like you can only... Yeah, or, or you know, you can also just ask us a question. Um, if there's a movie maybe that we've missed somehow going forward that you want to tell us about, really just drop us a line. You can also talk to us directly through Twitter, at underscore Scream Scene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. If you can leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a review. You can also share the show on social media, Twitter, or tell a friend about us. Um, Just uh, any word of mouth that you can help spread around about the show is really appreciated. Uh, We very much appreciate our audience. You're a dedicated bunch. Another way you can help out the show is by going to patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. This whole month, we've been doing special content, including music by me and um, multiple short fiction from Ben. So there's a lot of exciting stuff to check out for this past month. In addition to our regular bonus audio cut from past episodes or your monthly fiction. That's right. And those are available to uh, $5 and $10 patrons. 
but the bonus Halloween music is available to anyone who's a patron at any level. Uh, so you can hop on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast to take a look at that. And, um, you know, if you can only support us for a couple of months, uh, you know, and then you need to drop out or you support us at the full 10 bucks, grab everything and then skedaddle after one month, like we get it. Um, but however you can support us, uh, it's greatly appreciated. It's rough out there. We get it. If you can help us out, even just talking about us to your friends. Um, I guess after today, it's no longer technically spooky times, but really, it's spooky times in your heart all the time. Yes, that's right. As the- long as the cobwebs stay within your heart, Halloween is year-round. <laughs> yes, uh, the spirits have done their work. I now know to keep Halloween all the year. So next week... We're going to be watching the other half of this double feature, uh, Man-Made Monster, starring Lon Chaney Jr. Well, we will see you then, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye.